We are excited that you are here with us at Neartown Church. Welcome. My name is Andrew Johnson. I'm the associate pastor. Uh, Russell, this week, today, leaves for a bit of a retreat in Montana. So be praying for Russell, not like he's going to have an awful time. God, let him have fun in Montana. That's going to happen. But more towards that God gives him that rest and that space to, to hear something wonderful from him. Uh, God speaks. God is always speaking. We're just going to pray that Russell hears what God has for him. Years ago, uh, shortly after I was married, Megan and I uh, started working at a restaurant in Indianapolis by the name of Buca de Beppo. If I say it fast enough, nobody knows what I'm talking about. So at Buca de Beppo, we, we worked, uh, I was a server and she was a hostess. And I loved that gig. That was such a fun job. Uh, the personalities there were unique and wonderful. Uh, we were coming up on 13 years of marriage, and we're still friends with some of the people that we were friends with there at Buca. And one such person is a guy by the name of Evan. And I was thinking back um, about Evan this week, and I remember this one interaction where Evan, he came up to me in the back hallway. You know, if, if you don't know the server world, we all are grinning and smiles at your table. And then the moment we're done at your table, we retreat to the back hallway where we sit in as many seconds of silence as we possibly can manage. And then we have to go back out and smile and get you everything that you need. So in those quiet moments in the back hallway, Evan came up to me. Now, he and I had been working at this point for a few months. And with a, a smile on his face, he's like, Andrew, why are you different? And I looked at him and I said, what? And then I could see it wasn't just like a smile, but he was annoyed. And he's like, why are you so weird? And I was like, come again? And he's like, everybody here at Buka is gunning for themselves. They are out there constantly doing all that they can to get themselves ahead. They're thinking about themselves and they will do whatever they have to at that table to earn that buck. And they look out for number one at all times. Andrew, you don't do that. Why? Why are you so different? Now, we are in our series. We are calling it the Why series. We're talking about our values here at Neartown. Now, your values get to inform why you do what you do. Here at Neartown, our mission statement, we are inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. Well, why are we about it? So these, we're talking about our four values. This week, we're going to cover everyday connections. Everyday connections. We're going to look at this why of everyday connections today, and I hope that when we leave, you can see that when we are actually diving into and embracing everyday connections, we will experience a vibrant life like we never have before. When we get into everyday connections, we will experience a vibrant life like we never have before. Would you all bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we are going to have to dive into your word, to, to see what you have for us. Lord, thank you 
for this chance. Spirit, please move. You are good. Thank you for being here. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, today we are going to start just like Abby did wonderfully reading, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. So uh, according to my Bible, and I think any of the Bibles that we have here, uh, it is going to be page 1006. If you need a Bible, hold up your hand. John, who just escaped to the back, will be glad to give that to you. Um, If you don't have a Bible, you can keep it. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start off in verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, before we go on, th- this is, these few verses, these three verses are pretty loaded because anytime you see a therefore, this statement that is coming is going to be built upon many different thoughts that have come previously. So uh, I've established these things, therefore, now this. And then he follows that up, the writer follows it up with two since phrases. Therefore, since, since, okay, he's building on some previously established things. Instead of going all the way back through Hebrews and covering all the highlights so this makes sense, we are going to go a little inception style. We are going to go back to something further and deeper, and we're going to take a look at that passage, and then we're going to go back and to another passage further and deeper, like a slingshot. We're going to get pulled back, 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 so that we can come launching back into this passage. So journey with me now back to John chapter 1. Go back to John chapter 1. This is page 887. Verse 50. John chapter 1, verse 50. Uh, Nathaniel is talking to Jesus. Jesus has just told Nathaniel, who he is called to be his apostle, he told him that he saw him under a fig tree. Nathaniel, eyes wide open, he's freaking out and is like, Oh my gosh, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus has this amazing way when he communicates that he also, just like the writer of Hebrews, Jesus is going to go back and he is going to build on some Old Testament history. Now, in his context, when Jesus says something like that, everybody's pretty familiar with the Old Testament. It's what they were raised on. They were very familiar with the Jewish history, and so they knew what he was referencing. For us, when we come to a passage like this, that statement's like, oh, you know, heaven's going to open, angels are going to come down and go back up. That sounds cool. Well, he's referencing a previous story. So again, the slingshot keeps pulling back. Jump with me to Genesis chapter 28. It's kind of fun when you say go to Genesis because um, it's page 22. Nice small number. Page 22. Okay. Genesis chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, 
At this point, Jacob, he has this dad. He has scammed his brother. He stole his brother's blessing from his dad. It was a very unique, very wonderful, very one-time sort of deal. And he's on the run so his brother doesn't kill him. Okay, so while en route and on the run, we see this in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you... And your offspring shall all the families, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I and will bring you back to this land. Okay, so a whole lot of Jewish history is built on what just happened there. First of all, and a few weeks ago, remember I mentioned it was almost in flying God speaks to us through our dreams. He does talk. He communicates. Here we have an example of God doing that exact thing. And he is encouraging Jacob, and he says, something is coming. I am going to bring it out. And it's going to, you are going to see something like angels ascending and descending to the earth on a ladder. Other translations call this a stairway. In fact, they call it a stairway to heaven. Yes, Led Zeppelin, 46 years ago, last week, wrote that song. It's rooted here. It has nothing to do with actually what Jacob dreamed, but kind of does. So they are ascending and descending. Angels are going from heaven to earth. There was always understood there was this separation. We are on earth. God is in heaven. And if he wants to get to us, he has to leave heaven or come out of his place to reach us. And in turn, we cannot reach heaven. We are continually separated. And God gives Jacob this promise. There will come a time when heaven will be open. The image of angels ascending and descending is letting it be known there will be an open passageway. An open passageway where the divine will interact with the human. And those who are on earth can interact with with the divine. Hold that thought. Second thing that is crucial here, God tells Jacob, through you, through your offspring, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Everybody, all. It's quite encompassing. All, everybody. It's coming through you. Okay, now let's fast forward. The the slingshot has come all the way back, so let's move back forward. Let's go back to John chapter 2, Page 887, Jesus has just told Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the land. It doesn't say that. 
It doesn't say they're going to come on the land. It's not speaking about a specific land-based blessing. In fact, he says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's taken the prophecy and he's applied it to himself. Already this is mind-blowing. Already this is huge. When you come across things in Scripture, if you are reading the Bible on your own, always remember context, context, context. You've got to take what you see and don't just move because there's a number that says chapter two and a separation of a headline and think, oh, that was for chapter one. Now I'm going to move on to this whole new thought. The way this is written is to tell you I am hinging on this prophecy. I am bringing this up for a reason. And what you are about to read is an example of what I am talking about. So Jesus is saying, heaven will be opened. There will be a communication between heaven and earth. And what you are about to see is a glimpse. It's a breaking in. God's coming down, and it's going to happen through me. Now, let's read what happens. Chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, please don't read this as Jesus giving sass to his mom. That's not the context. That's not the tone. I hope I didn't read it with the sass. Jesus is already saying something here that's actually revealing He says to his mother, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. That subtle phrase is actually revealing quite a bit. One, he came to earth with a purpose. He came to earth with a great purpose. He knew what he was here to do. And when his hour, the end of his life had come, he was going to complete that purpose. He's already drawing the reader's mind and the hearer's mind to the point in which he will die to complete his purpose. He goes on. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I honestly love, we don't get a lot of glimpses of Mary outside of the very, very beginning. We get quite a bit there, but the faith that she shows She looks at her son, says, do something. Jesus says, okay, mom. And then she's like, do what he says. And she walks off. She's out of the picture. She knows he can do something. At this point in scripture, Jesus hasn't done any miracles. This is the first one. The amount of faith there in him, she knows that there's something more. His hour had not yet come. It was coming. Do what he says. Okay, Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it had come from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. This, but you, you have kept 
the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, we we not only have the first reference, my hour has not yet come, but Jesus is already foretelling his death through his miracle. Blood was constantly associated with wine. And Jesus didn't just make wine, he made the best wine. The wine that is going to be far and above what anybody has ever experienced before. And then Jesus does it. He doesn't just do it in the cups that are sitting at their table. Notice he uses the jars used for purification. I mean, this passage is just rich, rich with symbolism for us to see that Jesus has made the best wine in the context of something that was used for purification And he is again yet bringing their minds to his death, the death that will purify, the death that will make whole, and it will be the best. And you know, it's not just me reading into this like, oh man, you are just doing some wizardry here. Verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. They didn't just believe that he could do cool parlor tricks. There was an an observation and in a belief in the person who had done the miracle. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He was something more. His death would accomplish that something more. They believed in him. Jesus was foretelling his death, and in his death, he would open up heaven. He would allow angels to ascend and descend, and his power was breaking in here and now. Okay, We pulled the slingshot back. We let go. Now let's fling ourselves all the way back to Hebrews chapter 10, page 1006. Or you can just look up. It's on the screen. That's easy too. Go back to verse 19. Now let's read these verses in context of the two stories that we just read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened through for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the author of Hebrews is going back to the imagery that we see shown with Jacob in heaven and on earth, that there was previously a separation. When we look at the temple that the Israelites had, there was a curtain that prevented somebody from going into the Holy of Holies. God was located there. They had to stay outside of it. If they went in there, they would die. And the author of Hebrews said, Jesus has opened up that curtain. Through his death, through his flesh, we are able to enter. We are able to enter. This is incredible. Because Jesus has accomplished it. All the things that he told his disciples, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and you're going to be amazed by the power that is seen. It's coming. It's coming. And then he dies. He brings it to completion. And now the author of Hebrews gets to look back and say, It happened. Our way to the Father is open. And through Jesus, we get to access him. I love reading with the, uh, the, the fixed point kind of nature that the author of Hebrews writes on, with 
So in verse 19, he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Do you know the do you recognize he's not saying if we work hard enough, maybe someday we can have enough confidence to go in there. He doesn't say at some point in the future, I hope that I've, I've been a good enough person and I can get to see God, a glimpse. No, 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 no. It's a fixed point. It has happened since we have confidence. If you are in this room, if you are in this room, and you have come to Jesus to believe in him as Savior, then you have confidence. I want to remind you of that. This is not me trying to go rah, rah, rah and encourage you to actually believe it. It's a fact. It's a fact. You have confidence. So what do we do with that confidence? What do we do? Everyday connections. Everyday connections. This is why this is a value. What do we do? Jump down to verse 22. Verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, let us draw near. There in verses 20 through through 25 are going to be three calls. The writer of Hebrews is going to issue three calls, and it's all based on the very fixed point. Therefore, since we have confidence, therefore, since we have a great priest over the house of God, since Jesus is both the sacrificed and the priest, we can do things. What three things can we do? Verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If Jesus' work has opened up the curtain, if he has given us a way to go up the stairway to heaven and encounter God, what should we do? Let's use it. Draw near. Draw near in a relationship with Jesus Your salvation that Jesus has promised in him, you're wasting it if you don't want to spend time with him. Flat out. He has made a way. We have confidence to enter his presence. He invites us in. So let us draw near. Get in there. Get to know Jesus. Seek his face. Be changed by him. He is good. And he wants to change you. And that's a good thing. It's no judgment. None of us are perfect. In fact, we're sending our faces off all the time. And Jesus says, I want to have you in my presence. I want to make you whole. Draw near. Our sins have been cleansed. See that part in verse 22. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is the work of Jesus on the cross. He has covered our sins. He has forgiven our sins, and he invites us in his presence. Now, I don't want to skip over it because it is important. Notice how the author of Hebrews says that our bodies were washed pure with, washed with pure water. This is a reference to baptism. 
in the early church, there was an assumption that the people who followed Christ would obey his command to be baptized upon belief and enter the covenant community. They would believe in Christ, they would be baptized, they were part of the family. So the author of Hebrews here, he is writing Christians. He is writing Christians, and he says, well, clearly you've been washed clean, the outside of your body and the inside of your body. Inside through a belief in Jesus Christ, that's salvation. Outside, you've been baptized, you're part of this covenant community. If you are a Christian, you are here, and you have not taken those steps to be baptized, I just want to encourage you, let's talk about it. Don't have time, not the highlight of the sermon here to go deep on baptism, but the way that the author of Hebrews is referencing it, baptism is an assumed thing for people who are Christians. And it's an obedient step. It's a step to honor Christ's work in us and an invitation into his community. It's an assumption here. Moving on, verse 23. So verse 22 is let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The church is about who we are through the week. Who we are during the week is the church. The church is not a location that you attend for Sunday morning worship. The church is the people. And it's to what you have believed and what you gather around. That's every day. The author of Hebrews is saying, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God has made promises to his church. And those promises are to be believed and stood upon every day. Every day. Through the connection that we have with Jesus and the belief that we have in what he has promised us, stand firm. I don't think it's going to be a surprise for many of you that a lot of the things that the Bible teaches and that people believe and have believed for a very long time in the church are really uncool to a lot of society. And they don't want to talk about it and they don't want us to talk about it and they just wish that we would stop being so dumb and stop believing such heinous things and get with the program. The author of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to the hope that you have been given. Don't budge on it. Jesus isn't changing. He is still everything that he promised you and he will make you whole. Don't budge on it. Now, the second part of this, I want you to see in verse 23. Notice, I didn't point it out last verse. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Our us, communal, plural language. This is not singular. This is a call for us to do this together. Notice, go back to verse 19. I'm just going to highlight all the collective language this author has used since we have confidence. Verse 20, for us, that he opened for us Verse 21, since we, verse 22, let us, our hearts, our bodies. Verse 23, us, our hope. Verse 24, let us. This is a communal call 
This is a communal call. Every week we're going to gather here at church and we are going to open God's word and we are going to say, okay, Jesus, what do you have in this for us? And typically we're going to hear it in terms of me. And we say, okay, last week, Keelan, he did a killer job calling me to engage in global mission. Yeah, I know he talked a lot about the church, but I'm a part of the church. So that was just me. That was only me. And we, so we take it in individual terms. So church only means the people that gather on a Sunday morning. That's the collective. That's about as far collective as we're going to go. And individual is everything I do throughout the rest of the week. The author of Hebrews is calling for us to engage this on a communal, together, multiple person level. This is his call. So he says to us, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our confession. Again, I reference, there's a lot of people who aren't happy with us holding fast to our confession. And it's hard. So how do we do it? How do we go aback, go about, not aback, how do we go about actually staying together and holding fast to our communal confession? Oh, great question. Let's see if he answers us. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How we do it is we do so arm in arm. How we stay faithful to remember to draw near, to remember to hold fast to the confession of faith that he has given us, our hope, we do so together. We actually join together as a community, together on mission. Now here at Neartown, you're going to hear us talk about doing things on mission together. God has called us to a mission. God has called us to be on mission in this community. What is that? I think it's spelled out really clearly in verse 24. Being on mission is stirring up one another to love and good works. That's being on mission. How are we going to go out there and take the good news, the love of Jesus Christ? How are we going to show the renewal that he has done inside of me and inside of this group of people and show others that it is that good, that it is that wonderful, that he has called us to something more? How do we do it? We do it together. We do it together. I wholeheartedly agree with Matt when he was talking earlier about how God has called us here on a Sunday morning and we get to be reminded of the goodness that he's called us to. And we get to sing with one another, maybe some of us not as excellently out of Matt's pipes, but close, we go for it. We sing, we gather together and we are reminded of what God has promised us. But let's be honest. How often do you leave here fully encouraged to go out and stir one another up towards love and good deeds? How often do you feel like you got that big, big light bulb moment of like, this is how I need to go and stir one another up. This is how I need to go about and do more good works. Sometimes it's just an idea coming out of Sunday. Sometimes Sunday is more of an entertainment. You come and you hear awesome Matt and awesome company play some incredible music. You hear Russell and I share for some amount of time, and then you go back to your week. And Jesus' call is to say, 
Get in there together. Don't stop meeting together. And all the more. Now, that call to do things and all the more can be considering how to stir one another up towards love and good works. It can also be encouraging one another. And it can also be gathering together all the more as the day draws near. I didn't do my deep, deep dive to see what particular one thing that that was referencing. And I think in the context of this passage, it's all three. Don't stop meeting together and meet together all the more. Don't stop encouraging each other. Do that and all the more. Don't stop calling each other towards love and good works. Do that and all the more. Seek out everyday connections. Christ has called us to be connected to one another on the every day. That can be done here on a Sunday morning, but it can also be done over some coffee during the week. It can be done at a trivia night. It can be done over a round of disc golf. Just let me know when. It can be done throughout the week. We need those midweek touch points to remind us of what we are about, to encourage us in what we are able to do in community. Jesus is calling us to one another. This is a communal call. And he says, be connected every day. Here at Neartown, we have things set up called loop groups. Our loop groups, there are six of them right now. We have three nights that we meet. The reality is they're fantastic. They're wonderful. Sometimes life gets in the way and it makes it hard to get to them. But when we get there and we are able to gather around God's word, gather around one another, we are able to yet again encourage one another to go out and love others where we live, where we work, where we play. We are able to think how we can do good works where we live, where we work, and where we play. And then as a community to say, okay, how can we go and bring Christ's good name, the name that has opened a way for us to communicate with the Father, to be cleansed, how can we go and serve together to invite others to that in community? We at Neartown want you to be involved in a loop group. If you are not yet in a loop group, please grab that connect card, put your name on it, check the loop group box. Even if you just want more information, fill that out, throw it in the blue box in the back. I would love to invite you to this place where we are reminding each other that there is a vibrant life that Jesus has for us and he has called us to community to be connected every day. This is why we are about inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Because we have the blessing and the call of everyday connections. We're all seeking a vibrant life. We all want something more. My friend Evan looked at me and said, why are you so different? And in that night, in that moment, I went on and I told him a whole lot about Jesus. And I was so excited to tell somebody about Jesus. If you haven't caught on some of my excitement here. And I would love to tell you that Evan was like, all right, sign me up. In fact, he still thought I was crazy and said no. 
And I said, okay, well, if you don't believe me and you want to know more, why don't you just come with me to my house church? Now, this is in Indianapolis. We called them house churches. Here we call them loop groups. And I said, okay, come and join me for my house church. And so he came. And again, I would love to paint the rosy picture that he came to that night at house church and it was all clear for him. In fact, that was not the case. And uh, what was his quote? His quote is, I'm never coming back to this weird, and he swore. So uh, Evan was like, that's not happening. Uh, That's weird. I mean, they were really weird, and I was weirded out, and I'm not coming back. Until the next week when he came back. And, And then he came back that next week, and the next week. And Evan became a regular mainstay in our house church. And about a year later, he gave his life to Christ, and he was baptized. And then from that day, Evan has continued to grow. Um, This past week, working on this sermon, it gave me an excuse to reach out to him and and see how he was doing. He even sent me, like, the little photo of, like, the day he was baptized. He, like, made himself his own baptismal certificate, which (laughs) is really funny. And then what makes it even funnier is that he put the wrong date and so that's why I didn't show it, because I was like, Evan, you, you put the wrong date. And he's like, you're right. How did I do that? I don't know. So, but Evan is in a church. He is a growing Christian, and he is reaching out towards others. He's leading people to also grow in Christ, all because a coworker at Buca de Beppo reached out to him and told him something more, because it looked different. He knew that the solo way of life was empty, What did life look like together? What did life look like together in Jesus? What did life look like together through everyday connections? I don't want Evan's story to be this anomaly. I want that to be the norm here where people are being invited into community, where they are partnering together in mission and they are able to see that there is a vibrant life in Jesus Christ together on mission. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you have called us to this incredible place. You've called us to this incredible place where we get to fall in front of you, where you are moving. Jesus, I ask, first of all, for you to open our hearts for what more you want us to know about this? Where do you want to call us into everyday connections? For some of us, Lord, we've never come to you. And this idea of actually having a vibrant life with you is appealing. Lord, for those of us in this room who are hearing that call to draw near to you, let us see you as the only Savior, the only one worthy of that call. For those of us, Lord, who have come to faith in you, but long for that vibrant life, to feel that we've come to Jesus, we've come to you, and we still feel at the very little bit, is there something more, Jesus? Am I missing something? Why do I not feel this vibrant life? Jesus, I ask that you move here in the hearts of our people. We need you. And Lord, if you are calling us to a deeper, vibrant life, to see that we have that through everyday connections together on mission, Lord, let us join up together. Let us see how you are calling us to be the church, not on a Sunday morning, but on a Tuesday evening, on a Wednesday lunch, 
on a Friday outing in our jobs, in our homes, in our hobbies. Jesus, we need you to move. Lord, let us sit in your movement and reflect on your goodness. Lord, how are you going to move in us through our everyday connections with you and with others? In your name we pray, amen.